This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is May 27th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, Kate Kulig. I started early 1985 and was there through graduation um, after the summer of 1988. And what shows or programs did you work on at the station? Um, I think I ran the board for absolutely every show there was at some point. Um, regular shows where I was on the air, um, classics from Hofstra. Um, Land of, um, the jazz show was Land of Make-Believe when I started and was changed to just jazz a few years later. Um, there was Rock Ages, which was a classic rock show, which um, was changed over to New Age Images, um, 1986, and I was also an alternate on Airwave. Did you work on any of the uh, community fairs programs or any of the weekend shows? Um, I would fill in as an engineer on um, Tony Jackson's Irish Country. I think I ran the country show a few times when we didn't have a regular person. Um, Other weekends... Stuff does not come to mind, but um, I, yeah, like I said, I think I've engineered just about engineered just about everybody, and that includes the post-punk progressive pop party with Jeff Boss on Saturday nights. Nice, nice. Did you have any titles or positions at the station? A few. Um, I started, uh, my first position was helping out in the traffic department, and later I was traffic director. Um, I did remote operations under Barry, whose last name I forget. Um, That was entertaining because I got to go to some of the basketball games with the sports guys. I dressed up for these under Jeff Krause's recommendation. Stu Rushfield told me I was supposed to be wearing flannel. (laughs) <laughs> I was program operations director. I was program director um, my senior year. I did some engineering for Long Island Community Spotlight. Um, I also taught engineering classes. Okay. Did you use your own name on the year? Did you have any nicknames or, or stage names? I've never really liked my given name, so um, I started using Kate when I got my first professional radio job. Um, When I was Mike D'Antonio's staff announcer for Airwave, he used to call me misinformation. When I DJed Airwave, I think I used Trixie. There's a history there that I am not going into. (laughs) And... Um, I think I did a few other variations um, around the station. People would usually just call me by my first name or KK. Okay. Um, we were talking a little bit before we got on, on, on mic here, but uh, I'm always curious what brings people to the radio station. And if you can include part of that, what was it like when you got there? Maybe who were some of the people that you met? If you could paint a picture for those of us who weren't there at the same time, what do you remember seeing or experiencing at the radio station? Okay. Um, the first person I met who worked at the radio station was Jeff Raspy. Jeff sat behind me in freshman English at eight o'clock in the morning mm. And I knew he was, um, I knew he had worked at the radio station. I knew, th- I knew there was one. I, I, every college pretty much has one. Jeff was in a couple other of my classes. 
and he dated my roommate for a while, and I just got curious about it. I was originally an accounting major and wasn't going very well, and I just found myself getting more and more curious about the radio station, and I eventually made my way there. The office at the time was on the top floor of Memorial Hall, and Jeff sat in the back by the window. That's Jeff Krause, and Paul Cahill was chief announcer. My first, the announcing classes at the time were done in the recording area of the four track studio with a couch that was who knows how old. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, don't, I can't tell you how many people have slept on that couch, <laughs> but, um, and I just fell in love with the whole idea. And you couldn't get rid of me after that. So, so you said you know a lot of schools have radio stations. Were you aware of the radio station before you came to Hofstra, or was this just something that you kind of knew was out there? It was just something that I knew was out there. I was um, my parents. I originally wanted to be an English major, to be a writer, or maybe psychology. Um, my parents, who were paying the bills, strongly um, pushed me towards a business major so I'd have a solid career, which has not had anything to do with accounting. Okay. Um, so, so you meet Jeff uh, Raspy, and uh, I, I guess at what point? did you decide to go down to the station? Was there like an open house, a general information meeting, or did you just find your way to Memorial Hall and say, I want, I want in. I just found my way to Memorial Hall um, for second semester freshman year. So this would have been early 1985. And I was introduced to Paul Cahill, who was chief announcer. Um, Barbara Lyons was somebody who was very active. She was program director the following year, and Walter Ennis was the um, station manager. Um, Rick Wojcicki had graduated by then, but he would come around in the summers, and he was just always great to hang around. Margie Porter, Mike D'Antonio, and I got to be pretty good friends um, um, very early, and he was just a great guy. So uh, you talk about Paul Cahill as the as the chief announcer. Did he put you through an announcing class? Was there training for engineering, or or how did that go? Engineering classes were trained separately. Um, I don't remember how many weeks we had the official announcing classes, um, but this but there was a lot of tongue twisters, a lot of focus on um, midwestern lack of accent if you had it. Um, I came in with a Boston accent, but you hang out in New York enough, you get your R's back. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, I don't remember, like I said, I don't remember how many hours it was. Um, I got a spot on the classics from Hofstra. I was really nervous. Larry Estrich was the engineer and he was very nice and very helpful. we had pronunciation guides from the AP for people in the news, but we didn't necessarily have all that for the classical music. So some of that got butchered or got butchered for the newbies. Do you remember your first, uh, uh, I guess, so you were saying you were 
engineering for a staff announcer? Do you remember your first time getting behind the board? My very first time behind the board would have been after five or I don't remember how many engineering classes there were before they let you go into um, trainee status, but you had to have um, at least 10 hours of supervised time behind the board before they would um, let you engineer on your own. And I was working on, it was a jazz show the first time that I was on the air, that I was behind the board. Um, that might've been Paul Cahill's as well. I don't remember exactly. Um, what I do remember most is all of a sudden there's communicast news, which I was not prepared for. And in 15 minutes, you're going through about nine, eight or nine cart changes, three people, two microphones, and it was frenetic. Um, did not do that perfectly the first few times, but eventually you do, you know, you got the rhythm. Wow. That sounds, that sounds pretty intense. So that's, so that's a, that's a daily news program that was on the air that would have broken into like the jazz format. Um, it went from six forty-five to seven. Okay. And that lasted, um, that was there before I started under Dave Hytian. And um, I think it lasted until about 1987 under either Cindy McDonald or Cynthia Smith. And then later Dave Mock picked it back up. And I'm sure you're going to hear a lot of fabulous stories about Dave Mock because he was a wonderful man and he is so very missed. Yeah, I can't get enough Dave Mock stories. He was uh, he was an essential part of the radio station while I was there in the early 1990s, and 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 he really uh, shared a lot of station history and uh, and just just helped keep us in line. Really, <laughs> it's 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 hard to imagine now that that as young as he was at the time, he was one of the grownups in the room to us. So I will take any Dave Mock story anytime. Uh, uh, without, without fail, but, um, getting back to, to your early days at the station getting behind the board and getting on the air, do you remember any, uh, really useful advice you got from, from anybody, you know, do this or don't do that. Or, uh, like you said, maybe some work with, uh, modifying your accent. Um, I don't know what announcing classes are like now, or even what they were like when you were, we spent a lot of time with tongue twisters. Yeah. Um, and tongue twisters and some poetry like Annabelle Lee, which I was actually trying to remember as I was loosening up my vocal cords before we, before um, I connected to Zencaster. Um, the best advice I would give to a new announcer is you're talking to one human being. Just mm. act like you were talking to your best friend or sitting with someone over coffee. Don't think about addressing an entire group. Just focus on as if you were talking to one individual person. Um, another one, you're probably talking a little too fast. If it mm. feels like you're going too slow, it is probably just right. Hmm. For new engineers, um, Plan as much ahead as you possibly can. 
but I know that, but that isn't always possible. You get interrupted or someone calls in with a request and that will fit on the next, it will fit on the next slot. But, you know, take your time, know the board, don't be afraid to ask questions. People at the station were always very helpful. Uh, yeah, that is a, that is a consistent theme throughout a lot of these stories that, that, that folks are really helpful. I guess my next question then is, you know, when did you start to feel comfortable at the station and when did you realize you were going to start spending a lot of time there? Was um, it, was it any one particular moment or was it just sort of a general feeling like this feels really comfortable, at, at, you know, and, and you're just there all the time because that, that happens for a lot of us. That it was pretty much once I got on the air live, I loved the announcing classes. I was so excited to get started. Um, when I got my first slot by myself, um, I think it was Rock Ages. We saw, yeah, that was something everybody started out with the classics um, because that was, we were required to um, have 40 hours of classical music a week. I don't know if the radio station is still, is still um, broadcast in front of Hofstra Hall, but um, the powers that be wanted a very um, classy atmosphere. And so classical music was going from eight in the morning until two in the afternoon, one in the afternoon. I don't remember exactly. Um, but actually getting to do some classic rock, which was um, one of my favorite um, genres at the time, um, was when I started to feel comfortable and started to feel like I could develop my own personality on the air. Mm. Um, did you eventually switch majors? Did you change the, the, the course of your education? At I Hofstra? did. A lot of folks did. Yeah, I did. I did indeed do that. Um, at the time there really weren't enough tracks in radio to have its own major. So you were required to have a minor if you had a communications degree and mine was in English, but we still had to take, um, film and yeah, some film and some television and some journalism classes. So you mentioned earlier because your, your parents were footing the bill that uh, was, was there a bit of upset about that or did you have to talk them into the, the change of major and the, the change of course? I did have to talk to them about it. Um, I got on the phone, I think not too long after the first time I got on the air and I told my father and he was, and he was barely holding on to neutral. And mm. I said, he's like, make a fuss, dad. I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually accepted it and I would send them recordings and they like, and they liked listening to them. So, so that did, that did eventually work out. And my, you know, my BA is in communications. Okay. Uh, you mentioned an awful lot of names before uh, of folks that were there um, uh, when when you were getting started. Uh, some people who were already established and some people who are new like yourself. Um, uh, could you talk a little bit more about the people who were really helpful getting you established at the station? Um, Ed Levy um, was the one who taught me um, about traffic and program logs and such. I mentioned Paul. Um, Mike D'Antonio was um, especially helpful. 
Um, Margie Porter was another one. I learned a lot just by watching Margie. I would do a show and she, I think I was doing Rock Ages and she picked up Airwave right after it. And um, just one of the most professional and classy people I have ever met. Um, there were some people who tried to help and I might've been a little too overconfident and did not want to listen, which is something I will say I regret. Um, who else? Um, those are the big ones in the early days. Um, I met Dave Bolander a little bit later and um, just an, you know, another person who was good as an example. And Jeff, of course. I mean, you, you can't talk about the 80s without, talk, without talking about Jeff. And he intimidated me so much the first year or so I was there. I think I never, I was not comfortable calling a professor by his first name. I think he was, um, excuse me for the first nine months I worked at the station. <laughs> so, uh, you, you mentioned earlier in the, in the office setting that his, his desk was, was towards the, towards the back corner and so forth. And I have a very distinct memory. We were in the basement of Memorial hall of Jeff having his desk and his sort of area. And I, and many of us steered very clear of that section, especially when Jeff was in the room. Did you talk about him being an intimidating presence? Did you do you remember having a lot of conversations with him, or when when did you warm up to him? Um, I did have a lot of conversations with him um, when I realized that he was, you know, first realize, you know, how smart and how knowledgeable he was. Um, you know, the fear turned into a huge lingering respect and his talent and his sense of humor were always just amazing. Um, didn't necessarily steer clear of his desk. I mean, you obviously you just you did not sit in his chair. You just did not do that. Yeah. Um, I remember the move from um, Top Floor Memorial Hall down into the shiny new office in the basement, which was a beautiful thing and so much closer to the station so that yeah so we really really appreciated that um the traffic desk was in the center and then i had the pm and i, I sat at three desks in that particular office so i uh, if i'm trying to search my memory i think the the space that became the office in the basement that was that a tv facility beforehand do you remember what was there? When I started, um, the station was down in the bomb shelter down by the men's room. Um, but HTV was on the other end down by the ladies room. Same, the same setup. I do not know what was in that space before we did. We had a long hallway where um, our classical music director had an office. The sports guy had sports guys had an office. Um, the remote operations chief had their room with all with all kinds of equipment. Um, the news team also ha also had their own office where they would start where they would give out assignments and things. Okay, uh, to call back to the um, to the sports 
department. You mentioned earlier that Jeff Krause recommended you dress in a particular way or, or, or wear, uh, I guess, a certain style of clothes when, when going to uh, broadcast the games. What uh, Could you talk a little bit more about that? Um, it wasn't a huge conversation. It was one of my first times going out and, going out and setting up, and um, he had suggested dress up. And my dress up clothes early in college were fairly preppy. Um, so I think I was in a, you know, I was in the skirt and a sweater. Um, and I, I don't know if I even owned high heels at the time. I'm fairly short. I don't walk well, but I don't walk well in heels. Mm. Well, I guess what I was getting at is it, was it a, a general thing at the time that the sports department should go out and look a certain way or was it, uh, um, more because you might have been a woman working with the male sports crew or, or I just, I was just trying yeah. to get it. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy, you know, the guys always, the guys always look nice. I don't remember. I, I don't think they were wearing ties, but you know, probably a button down. And if they were jeans, they were nice jeans or, or dress or dress or dress pants. Um, but like I said, Stu made that joke about engineers should act, you know, should have been wearing flannel, which I just thought was, um and it might have been it must have been quite a setup you know with all the equipment at the time i know things have changed technologically obviously over time but um from what i understand the remote equipment was was quite a bit to to lug around there was quite a yeah there it was a lot of equipment and it was very solidly built and reasonably heavy i have joked more than once that you could use those shore microphones as hammers um <laughs> we were transmitting over a phone line um and then you know, and then sent in and then run through the patch board um to be broadcast into the station was there a lot of training to get ready for that or was it sort of like come along and and we'll show you how everything works um a little bit of both you know, um, something Jeff would talk about on the radio is like, you've got to know your gazentas and your gazatas. And it was just a question of knowing which, where everything was. Mm, that's a great phrase. Um, so it's, it's, I guess it's quite a transition from showing up at Hofstra and having accounting and, and, and one thing in mind and then making your way to the radio station. And, and obviously we've got hindsight to look back and say, this is what, all these things and all these people meant to you. But I'm wondering if you could try to put yourself back in your shoes that second semester uh, of the, the first year. And as an 18 year old or as, as a young person, what did you hope the radio station would be for you? Um, I knew I wanted to make my career in radio. Um, I had very, they were very vague plans. I dabbled with the thought of um, being in news and being like Barbara Walters and getting those really deep interviews. Um, I thought about, you know, maybe trying a program director job somewhere or just being on the air and bopping around the country until I found some place I wanted to stay. Um, Going back, and I've thought a lot about this, I didn't necessarily know what it was going to mean to me. Um, when I got into learning how to write for radio, I knew that was going to serve me well for the rest of my life, and it has. 
the voice training has helped on things as simple as conference calls. I still get compliments on my voice, which is pretty cool. And I tend to tell people um, I didn't go to college. I went to a radio station and occasionally went to class. Amen. So that was a big, it was pretty much my identity for um, my last three years at school. It got worse when I had, um, when they reopened, it was called Bits and Bytes at the time because the computer lab was also in Memorial Hall. So they were being cute when they renamed um, the cafeteria. But I had a 10 o'clock class, um, COM21 basic radio production, and I was supposed to go to another class on the other side of campus for my, it was my Shakespeare class and then come back. And I think it was, I think it was the official course um, in announcing, but it was really easy to go upstairs and get breakfast in between classes. And I did fail that class that oh, year. The, the, uh, the, the production course or the Shakespeare course, the Shakespeare course. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very easy to, uh, to get drawn into the culture of being in the office and being in the studio. And, and, and I've had folks who were at the radio station in the sixties and kids who were there in the two thousands. And it's, it's a common theme. We get, we get drawn in by the culture and these new friends that we've made. And suddenly, like you say, I went to the radio station. I, you know, that was my four years were at the radio station, not necessarily at the university. Um, yeah. I remember sophomore year, um, hurricane Gloria hit long Island. Um, and, my boyfriend was really pissed at me because he, I was on, I was at, I, I had, my dorm room was in the towers and he insisted I go into his dorm room, which was on the ground floor. And all I wanted to do was go to the station and help out because, you know, major disaster, everything comes, you know, the news department just descends on, you know, and descends on, yeah, you know, descends and takes, and takes over with important up with important updates. And bit of an argument there because mm, you wanted to be in the thick of things and and he wasn't interested in that but but you I, were. I wanted i wanted to help and he thought i was you know he thought i was taking you know risking my risking my safety well uh it, it's uh the these stories have been great Kate, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to share these. And um, I'm working on a list, still working on, I've been working on it for a long time, a list of another set of questions, but uh, I'd love to uh, have a more of a conversation with you. Thank you for your time. Um, happy to do it and happy to meet up with you again. You just let me know.